All right, it's good to be with everyone again today, and uh, I have a feeling that we've got quite an event in, in store for the next 60 minutes. I've been thinking about the material that's before us. We're going to get into actual test data, but we are going to be really teaching today, and I'm going to need you to work with me. The subject is online testing and, uh, and how it can lead to major ROI gains if the right tests are set up and executed and analyzed uh, properly. You can see the, uh, the official title here, I think, uh, Simple Test, Significant Gains. And we're going to show how a research partner increased revenue by 130% with small changes. This is revenue, by the way. Think about increasing your revenue by 130%. I sincerely believe that if you pay careful attention today and that if you will invest your energies uh, with us and your time, we can communicate something to you that could make a significant difference in your own marketing methodology. I, I want to touch this subject in a unique way. Uh, I've been on the Internet and involved in research with the net back before there was actually even Internet uh, browsers, before Netscape, in the days when it was Unix and Gopher Strings. And I conducted some of the first experiments across the net, and I think we founded the first laboratory studying conversion across the net. And I've watched an evolution take place. I've watched people all over the net suddenly realize that they have to be testing. And what I've discovered is that many of us are testing now. Let's look at some stats related to that in just a moment. But with all the testing that's going on, I've also grown alarmed with the fact that many of us are waking up to the fact that we need to test, but we have not really learned how to do it properly. And there are validity threats on all sides. There are tests being conducted, confident marketing directors walking back to their to their you know, executive team and projecting certain kinds of gains or telling or making certain important decisions based on data that is, at its heart, uh, flawed. And it's a grave concern for me that, that we could find ourselves, many of you on the phone, making decisions that uh, would be rational and warranted had your premise been correct, but it's not because you've conducted a test without realizing that there are many other threats besides just the confidence interval or the sample size. So what can you do? How can we invest the next uh, 50 minutes together to discover a way to go back, conduct simple tests, and achieve significant, significant revenue? I, I want to work this through. I want to try to answer the question. To do that, I think I'm going to need to take you through some actual case studies. And then I want to communicate some principles, and I'm going to reveal to you a testing sequence that we have never, ever given before in any of our live web clinics. We've used it in our certification classes, but we've never revealed the, the formula itself. I believe if you can learn at least the core, the core philosophy associated with it, you can be more effective. And it focuses on what we call utility or useful testing. Do you realize you can conduct a valid test that isn't very useful? Uh, we want to know how to conduct tests that are useful in a commercial environment. And we're going to get through and teach you these principles and reveal the sequence to you and look at real case studies. But I am going to ask you to bear with me today, whereas when I'm doing live optimization, we have all the action and activity associated with that. I need to think of you now as a class. I need to pretend I'm standing at the lectern at one of the universities that I work with and that I can teach you. I need your interaction, and I need you to help me. So uh, let, me, let me play professor a bit today, and I think if I do that, I can do a better job of uh, arming you and helping you to go back and get results. With that in mind, let's ask a simple question. How often are marketers testing? And to do that, I think I can take you forward and show you an actual metric. Uh, and I don't know, I may back up here for just a second and actually check you before I show you this metric. How often do you test landing pages or site changes? I want you to think about that. In a moment, I'm going to open a poll and have you answer it. In the meantime, I'm going to take you forward and let you see some data that was collected through Marketing Sherpa. Sherpa is another research group that works with us. And uh, Marketing Sherpa, in the landing page handbook, uh, revealed this data that was taken across all the benchmarks that we're doing. It's a, it's a very good book written by Ann Holland. And uh, it uh, 
represents much of the research done across the net. And uh, so keeping that in mind, let's look at this. According to the stats, 30% uh, of marketers retest major pages at least once a year. 40%, I'm just skipping ahead, say we test when we launch, but then we leave it forever. What this doesn't show you is how many conduct tests that are not valid or that do not provide useful data. And if this is encouraging, and for me it is, it's far, far from what it needs to be. Even modest testing done consistently can give you a significant advantage over your competition. Let me have you answer this poll question anonymously. How often do you test landing pages or site changes? So I'm going to open up a poll, and uh, you can use the polling feature to begin to answer that. 2% of you voted, 8% of you voted. Vote rapidly. I'm listening, and we'll kind of let you see what this audience is doing in terms of testing. Interesting. All right, we're at 42% of the audience, 49. We just reached 50%. In 10 seconds, I'm going to shut the poll down, and then I'll show you the stats. You're doing well. Give me 2% more. All right, let's stop the poll. I have the numbers, and I'm going to show the results. So if you watch on your screen, it should reveal for you precisely what the numbers are. 19% of you retest major pages at least once a year. 44% of you launch but leave pages alone at that. Very interesting. Very interesting. Now, I suppose that more of you could test more often if you had a good methodology for doing so. And uh, I'm going to just I'm just going to go forward one and ask you this next question. Why aren't marketers testing more often? And which tests are marketers conducting most? So let's look at A B split tests and then multivariate tests involving multiple A B test cells at the same time and Taguchi style. If you don't know multivariate or Taguchi, then obviously that's not one of the methods you're using. According to our stats, uh, 42% of marketers use A-B tests, 21% are using multivariate, 9% are using Taguchi-style testing. Uh, if you wonder why you're not doing these more sophisticated tests, before we're done today, I want to help you understand when they're useful and when they're not, and put them in popular or put them in proper context. So stand by. Keeping that in mind, uh, I'd like to move on and look at a case study. So here's two years of testing with research partner Encyclopedia Britannica. They were a good partner. I appreciate them. I was in uh, New York speaking. I did not know they were going to be speaking, uh, but when I got done uh, opening the Marketing Sherpa Summit for publishers, I noticed uh, that day that later on they were speaking, and they revealed uh, some of the same information I'm going to show you now. They talked about major increases they achieved in conversion, actually working with our research team. So let's look at some of these things. Their goal was to increase net revenue per unique visitor. There was a core strategy focusing on three metrics, increasing visits, increasing free trials, and increasing conversion from free trials to paid. There were 10 tests with varying degrees of complexity, and three relatively simple A-B tests resulted in significant gains. Let's look at the impact, and then let's talk about how we got it. So here's an example. Small changes tested, a difference in the call to action. If you'll notice the CTA, which is uh, connected to this button, the green button on the left, and you'll notice the button we developed on the right with the accompanying text, and you'll notice that the winner was the new treatment, 30% fewer clicks, but 13%. Now, why was there fewer clicks? Because there was friction. We asked for an email address. That's why there was less clicks. Take the email address up you'd probably get a higher number, but 30% fewer clicks, but 13% more FTs per UV and 61% more FTs per click, 24% more paid subs per unique visit. Now, the FT stands for free trials, so essentially 
though the results on the front end were less. And, oh, I want to do a clinic on this. My, my managing editor uh, of the journal is, on, is in the room with me right now. I'm standing in front of a bank of huge uh, computer monitors. And I just want to turn to Hunter and say, I want to talk in a future clinic, Hunter, about diminishing results on the front end for the sake of increasing results on the back end. Many of us don't recognize the trade-off, but in this case, it was a, a major increase in revenue. Now, if you're just looking for practical information, and I want to teach you about testing, but I'd like to just give you a takeaway right now. Take this and think about it with your own site. Capture the email address at the front, and then mark it to that person afterwards if you capture it under the right pretenses. And frankly, you need to add to this, you know, a checkbox depending on how you're using the email address. But the bottom line is this simple change resulted in significant revenue. Let's look on the left. Here's the control page. This is one that we'd already developed, uh, and now we were testing against our own page. We added one key component, HackerSafe logo. The logo delivered a 13.2% lift in free trials. Think of that. Now, I don't, I'm not trying to promote this company. It's not HackerSafe per se even. It is the fact that you have a credibility indicator located right there at the point in the psychology when someone is concerned when there's anxiety. The, the truth is that optimization occurs in the mind, not on the page. It's a sequence of thoughts, and at this particular location on the page, this, this, this coincides with a particular thought arising in the mind of the person reading the page, and at just the right moment, we assure them of the safety. Thus, we overcorrect for anxiety, and at 13.2% more money by adding a graphic. Let's go on. Here's a small change tested. We removed one page from the registration process. Now look at the top. Page one, page two, page three. Now look at the bottom. Page one, page two is gone. It's combined with page three. We've eliminated one page. Look at it. 170% lift in free, 117% lift in free trials. And a 61% lift in paid subscriptions, that's people who continued, but a 130% lift in revenue. Isn't that remarkable? Now, that's a small change that any one of you could make, and yet it yielded a 130% increase in revenue. Well, so, yes. This is Jimmy. I just want to add a little context to this. Please, Jimmy, please. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, Britannica did not, just to let everybody on the line know, did not want to make <laughs> some of the changes to these pages, especially in terms of these subscription offers. They had always had these three offers, and they always wanted to have these three offers because they felt that having multiple offers, options would actually uh, help a customer make, you know, a buying decision and figure out which one is best for them. But by removing those options, just going with the single, op you know, single offer and removing the three choices on a separate page, made the huge, huge lift. So if you're currently offering a product and you have a subscription product and it has three different options, test using a single, whether it's the annual or the monthly, it doesn't matter. Test all the variations to figure out if it's best to actually have multiple options or just a single option and, and see if you can remove steps, reduce friction, and get more people through the free trial or the subscription process. Jimmy's our director of optimization research here in our sciences group that uh, works across the lab. Uh, Jimmy worked on some of these pages along with a young lady named Gabby who did a superb job. But I want to point out, too, that Britannica, they were good partners. They, uh, we, were challenging, we were challenging the status quo, and, uh, but they were gracious. They made the changes, and they reaped the benefits from that, and I, I'm, I'm very grateful for that, and I'm grateful that we all learned so much together. So small changes tested results in a significant lift. Now, let's, let's look for just a moment, and, and let's drill down deeper. With A-B tests focused on three key areas, using relatively minor changes, subscriptions, and revenue increased dramatically. A structured testing process, however, helps marketers demonstrate the value of optimizing pages, and even small changes applied in the right places can make a significant impact to the bottom line. Now, I say all of that to you to simply say that if you start A-B testing in areas with the biggest potential return on investment, you're likely going to see a significant gain from your work. And one of those significant areas is the call to action, forms, 
and the length of the transaction process. You might want to wrote those three things down. We have the world's largest library of case studies and experiments, and in three particular areas, we notice that you see major revenue boosts, testing the call to action, uh, reducing the friction in forms, and reducing the length of the transaction process, the number of pages, and so on. So keep that in mind, and let's continue to learn together. Now I have something new. Now I need to turn it into a class. Now I, I really need your help. I have a sequence. I cannot test or teach the sequence in depth like we do in the certification course on this particular topic. And by the way, I have no call to action here for the certification course. We teach one in online testing. Uh, I don't even know if the landing page is up on our site for it, but we, we do teach a certification program. And you can contact us if you're interested, but I, I, I'm not leading up to a sale. This is not a class to pre-sell something else. I just want to teach you. So here you have U equals 2Q plus T plus M plus 2V plus I. U stands for utility. The usefulness of a test is uh, factored by or is equal to the research question, and almost everyone gets this wrong, the treatment, the metric system, the validity factor, and the way the test is interpreted. Those elements done properly are critical to achieving a test that is useful. I have seen many tests run which are interesting but not useful. And I want you to help me, and I want you to think about this, because you may see the sequence and think, well, this is simple. It is not simple. I can sit in a room full of PhDs and run uh, a question on designing for a cell process, the exact or the best research question, and 8 out of 10 will not get the research question correct. That's not, a, by the way, a hard metric. That's just an estimate. Very, very seldom do I see the question focused properly. You need to understand how to design your research question. You need to understand how to build the treatment. You need to understand the metric and how to make certain that your metric system itself is not hurting validity. And you need to be able to calculate all uh, the validity factor against all forms of validity threats, or at least the four or five main ones. I, I will help you understand this. I'll help you apply it. I'll try to make this very simple as I move to the next slide. But it's important to know that underneath the simple things I'm going to be saying as we go forward, there is a very critical methodology which, if applied, in a methodical, in a uh, method, <laughs> if you apply it methodically, you're going to be able to. Um, I was going to put an adverb on top of the adverb, but the uh, my literary instincts can't bear it. Uh, bottom line is, if you work methodically through this sequence, you can see significant gains in your testing yield. So let's um, let's break something down here into key steps. Part of this is starting with the right research question. The next key is developing a treatment that best tests the research question. The third thing is determining the right metrics. The fourth thing is checking validity, which means you've got to be aware of threats. And the fifth area is interpreting results. Now, you're my subscribers. Uh, here at Market Experiments, we focus on optimizing the uh, communication process, marketing communications in particular, especially as they're associated with the with the cell process. And I would like to ask you to help me to help you look at these and tell me right now, which one of these five areas do you have the most trouble with? And I'm going to open a poll for that. So here's a poll. If you'll start voting, number one, two, three, four, five, which one of these do you have the most difficulty with? And I'm going to watch you, and let's see how the audience responds to this. It'll tell us where to focus some more of the instruction, even as we go forward today. Let you vote just a second, and I'll be right back with you. Jimmy and Aaron, uh, who are both in our optimization group, feel free to jump in with your thoughts. And Jimmy, it, won't, it would be very helpful if you can express some of the problems uh, that you see in the process, because you and I review so many tests. Bob Kemper, the same thing. We look at many, many tests, and we've experienced uh, a kind of a patterns uh, among those tests that we review for others, and it may be helpful to share some of that information. Yeah, sure. This is Jimmy Also, I just think that a lot of times, you know, even with our own research, we tend to look at just what is in front of us. So, for example, you're looking at a landing page, and you're thinking how to improve that page, 
but you haven't asked the question that, that's deeper than that page, which is, is, is this is this the right page to, to either test with or to, to even have in this process uh, with whatever you're trying to do with your company? So is this the best way to actually sell a customer or complete a lead gen form or um, whatever process you're working on? So asking that deeper question, is, you know, is there a better way besides just trying to patch up this page that might be a bad page or a broken page in terms of, of, of effectiveness and, and finding the best way to get most customers through the process. So when we usually think back and say, you know, is there another way, we usually scrap the page we're looking at and, and start for, start over from the beginning and say, let's let's develop a better process uh, of generating a lead and, and capturing a customer. So that, that's a lot of what we see is you get so stuck on a problem, on, on, the, on, on one little problem on a page, that you don't see the bigger picture and, and step back. Jimmy, Jimmy has said something that's not in my notes, and it's so vital. Typically, when I look at the test, uh, if Aaron's on the line with me, probably the first the first question that often pops out of the uh, mouths of our scientists when they look at a test is, why did they test that? Because often it's it's the wrong research question. And Jimmy, you'll find this interesting, but if you look at the polling results, 37% of the audience, by far the greatest majority, with number two being at 19%, said that asking the right research question is their problem. Now, I saw a very interesting post. And I'll answer some of these questions coming in. The first one was that my big problem, someone says, it looks like it might be Graham, who said is resources. And you're absolutely right. That does not apply in terms of the actual utilization testing utility formula. And we're testing elements of the formula with this poll. But in terms of just plain obstacles, that's one of the strong ones. I mean, there are others, though. I mean, there's management who will just not permit you to run the tests that need to be run. I had a situation with one of the largest companies in the in Europe. They're 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 very active in, in throughout ten major countries. They're owned by ten major countries in Europe, and we ran tests and got significant results for them. But they asked us, please, please, do not test our home page. And I said, why? They said, because we have spent you know X millions of dollars building this page. We launched it three months ago, and we don't want to know if it doesn't work <laughs> for political reasons. So there's a lot of obstacles out there, but some of you are not facing obstacles on that level. And what I want to do right now is just help you get a firm grasp of the testing itself. Uh, how long – let me take a few questions, and then I'll start teaching again, okay? Someone says, how long do you test to be effective? Uh, it depends on the number of actions. depends typically on how much traffic coming to the actual test on your website, if it's a web test. And it depends – not just on the number of actions, but actually on the variance or the difference between, say, the results of A and B. If the results are wide, it takes less actions to achieve what's, you know, a, a confidence level. And that's what we're after. And again, we teach that. Now, I, I want to say this again so I can re refer to my certification class without sounding like I'm selling it. it I don't think you can even go to our, our webpage right now and find it on the landing page, so please don't miss don't, don't misunderstand my motives, but we teach that in there. And there are things I can't say now. We teach you how to calculate confidence. And um, so let me continue. Uh, it looks like some of you are in right now. Try not to get disconnected. I noticed that we've maxed out all lines across the entire provider, and I'm seeing that come in. As long as you're connected, you're fine. But if you get dropped, other people are trying to connect our provider can't handle the volume at present of people calling in for the for the session. I'd like to move on. Let me see if some other questions here. Um, here's, is it true that multivariate tests are not worth doing if you don't have a lot of visits coming to the landing page? And this is from Peter. Peter, uh, multivariate tests require a lot of traffic under most circumstances, and if you don't have enough traffic, you can't get validity soon enough. They also, I think, have extreme limitations in achieving significant gains. I'm for them, but they must be done carefully. And in the end, I always go back and use single factorial or what uh, Lehman called the A-B split test. And uh, we'll talk about that as other questions. Um, and let me just continue. All right. So I see more questions coming in. Um, let me look at one more here. I work for an interactive media company, and one of the issues I'm faced with, I'm reading this question, is that after the team embraced A-B testing, there are more variables to test than can be handled in one or two or three tests. There are many variables we could test. We're not ready to do multivariable testing. Essentially, they're asking, what can you do? You need to do a variable cluster. I'll talk about that. 
as I go forward, just watch. And I'll, as we get forward, I'll try to help you some more understand how to handle that particular problem. It's a great question, and I'm going to try to answer it for you. All right, so I am now looking at what's called a test protocol. You'll notice up on the top on the right-hand side of that document, it's actually a glorified spreadsheet. It is a formula, the same one I've been talking about. And you'll notice the Q and the T and the M and the V and the I are actually connected to the question, the treatment, the metrics, the validation, and, uh, and essentially the interpretation, which is uh, down below there. And what we're doing is we use this document to actually track how a test is run. And you need some process like this. And we test for a number of kinds of validity threats history effects and instrumentation effects and selection effects and sample distortion. We teach you how to do that. If you're on the line right now and you're saying, but I don't understand all of that, may I suggest to you that simple tests can be done, single factorial, A against B, using a variable cluster, and you don't need to be a rocket scientist to do it, and I'm going to talk to you about how to do that before we're done. But let me keep going. This is an example of a way to organize your tests. We've patented this approach it's only the top sheet of a spreadsheet that actually automatically calculates validity for you. It also does a number of other things that help you track your tests, coordinate results. It even has each of the comps in it that we used to conduct the test. It's a very useful tool. We keep a library of these for every single test that we run. All right, so let's talk about the research question. Many of you had you know, that as one of the areas that you are most concerned about, and I'd like to help you think about it. So I'm going to answer some basic questions about testing, all right? Number one, what is the right kind of research question? Well, all single factor, that's A-B split testing questions, should begin with the word which, W-H-I-C-H. That's one of the key ways to know whether or not you've formulated a proper research question. In most cases, they don't. People say, my research question is, you know, how can I get more people to sign up for my free uh, newsletter? Or how can I get more people to take my free trial? That is not your core research question. That's an ancillary or that's a, a thematic question. But the one that you must really ask will begin with which. And it will be something like this. Which headline will convert the best, A, B, or C? That's a research question that makes a very clear focus on what it is you're testing and which should be followed by a proper test and a clear answer. So you don't ask what is the best price, you ask which of these three price points is best for this product. And you get very clear with your research question. And your treatment, and we'll talk about that, it's coming up right now, your treatment actually helps you to address that because your treatment are essentially those, let's take web pages, the new page that you're testing against the old page. So your treatment is your B page or your C page. A is normally something we call the control. Now, if you're advanced in your testing uh, abilities, uh, bear with me, but based on the size of my audience and based on their responses, I'm getting simple in my explanation. So please understand that. Uh, we certainly can provide you with much more complex theory of testing um, in subsequent sessions or in our advanced certification classes. But please follow with me. A is the current page, add, or email before any optimization versus your treatment. That's your B page. And that will have something on it. It will have the variable. The variable is the general element you intend to test, like the headline. The value is the specific option. For instance, it might be the color of the headline. You might test it in black font, red font, and a green font, or let's say a blue font. And, and so the value is the color. And the variable is the headline. Now, these values become treatments. They're incorporated into a new version. Sometimes it's a new page like uh, that has, say, a different headline. That's the most common way it's done across the net. So that's T. That's your treatment. So you've asked the right research question. You've now developed a treatment, and you've got to actually go forward and figure out which metric. So Establish what you're trying to accomplish. Is it more subscribers? Is it more qualified leads? Is it higher conversion rate? Is it better ROI? And then bear in mind there are four elements that you can measure. The amount of activity, the source of that activity, the nature of that activity, or the results of that activity. All of that should help you determine the metric that you're going to be testing. 
Now, once you understand that, there may be secondary metrics that you're also tracking. But you want to identify the core metric that you're testing, which leads me to V. For confidence in your findings, test results must be statistically meaningful. There has to have been enough difference in results to declare a clear winner. Typically, researchers tolerate no more than a 5% chance that the test results are random. This is referred to as a 5% significance level or a 95% confidence level. You want to be at least 95% confident that the results of your test will detect a difference in click-through rate of 0.5% or more. So, you know, the, 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 the key point here is that as sample size increases, your margin of error declines. That means the more actions you measure, the more likely it is that you are achieving uh, or that you are having, uh, you can determine the probability with confidence. So, the more actions, the... Uh, better you are, it means that your margin of error has declined. Now, follow with me just now because I'm getting ready to talk to you about the most important part of this. I'm going to talk to you about the effects that could mess with your results and thus invalidate your test. And this will be germane to everyone that's on the phone. And after that, I'm going to actually show you how to test more variables at one time. And at the same time, uh, right after that, I'm going to look at one more case study, and, and just the, just looking at how we tested, I think, will help a lot of you. So bearing with that, I want to stop for just a second, use the Q&A, and tell me, uh, are you following with me so far? Keep, uh, keep, is this right for you? Is this the right pace and the right level? Give me quick feedback. I'm doing my very best to help as many people as, I po as you know, we possibly can. From the feedback I'm getting, it seems very, very positive. All right, so I shall continue. All right, so let's talk about validity because it's the issue where I think we have so many problems. There are several key threats to validity. The first one is what's called the history effect. Most people who are testing right now on the net have no idea what I'm talking about. But the history effect is the effect on a test variable by some kind of extraneous variable associated with the passage of time. Now, I know that's not a clear definition for most of you, so let's be very clear. This happened to us. In... The 48 hours following NBC's Dateline to Catch a Predator, that was the name of the show, there was a dramatic spike in click-through to one of our research partners' site. The CTR corresponded to the prominence of the word predator in the headline we were testing. We noticed uh, significant results and improvements, but had we not been able to track that NBC had emphasized this to catch a predator television show, we would not have realized that the gain we achieved was really due to some kind of extraneous variable, and thus we were experiencing a history effect, which made our test invalid. You have to be aware of that. Here's another one. This is really common. Instrumentation effects. This is the effect on the test variable. Again, that's the thing that you're trying to study. Caused by a variable external to an experiment associated with a change, here's the key, in the measurement instrument. That means something didn't work right in your metrics program or your testing program, and I have seen it over and over again. You have to ask yourself, did anything happen to the technical environment or the measurement tools or the instrumentation that could significantly influence results? So all of that is very important, and I can give you examples of this. Let me see. The easiest one is probably... Before I go on to selection effects, we ran a multivariable test or multivariant test, and what was happening was the load time caused by the way the test was set up, because there were so many variables being loaded simultaneously, uh, impacted conversion because people had to wait too long to see the testing page. And we recognized that we were able to protect ourselves. Many of us don't realize that in these tools there are some dangers. The other is... Yes, Jimmy, go ahead. Another really good one, sure. In terms of the instrumentation, that, I mean, for example, if you currently have a site that has, let's say, it's a load balancing system of three or four servers, if you're running a test and one of those three or four servers goes out and you don't detect it during the test period, it could affect your results because 
it wasn't an even split of traffic across all your treatments because the server was down or it could have another sporadic effect in terms of distribution of customers to those test pages, and, and we've seen that quite a bit as well. Very good point. That's a very good point. Uh, so let's uh, let's move on quickly to sampling distortion effects, and this is the math, and most of us uh, are intimidated by knowing how to calculate the right number of actions to know that our test is valid. But there's software that will do this for you. We've developed a spreadsheet tool that does it. It's part of our certification program. And you just plug in the number, and it predicts for you automatically what's happening. You just get the numbers in properly. In fact, let me show you something. I'm going to show them a live protocol. I, I, I had this. This is one I was showing earlier today, and it's still on my desktop. It's from a real test. So if you look right now on the screen, you should see an actual test protocol, and here's what it really looks like. First is the summary. We've just been going over that. See, there's the question, the treatment, the metrics, and the, and the validation. Here it says that we tested, this is a real test, by the way, the history effect, instrumentation effect, selection effect, and sample distortion effect. Our validations tool right here, and by the way, this sounds, but all you're, entering, all you're entering in is a couple of numbers. The rest are being automatically calculated. This is calculating how many we need to measure, how many actions, and how long it will possibly take, and whether or not we've achieved validity. All the math under here is calculated built into the spreadsheet. You don't have to worry about it. So according to our example, we predicted we would need to measure 4,333 actions, and knowing the traffic count to that site, we thought it would take 10 days. In truth, in actuality, we measured 9,551. We had enough successes, and it was valid. This is all being automatically calculated. So here's what we discovered. Conversion went from 16.52% to 25.4%. And this is all the things that we learned, we, we, which brings me up to interpretation, and I'm going to take you there in just a minute. So if you look, there's the, that's the summary. This is how we calculated validity. This is the background information we gathered before we ran the test. And here's the actual screenshots. Some of you have seen this particular test. These are the actual screenshots from the test, and that's how we gathered all of this data that we, we did, and we're able to achieve a major gain. This partner needed 100, I'm just telling you this anecdotally, they needed 100,000 people to take their survey, and they had approximately 9,000. They had a very short period of time left, and they'd not been successful in getting people to take this survey. It's a great survey. It tells you a lot about yourself. I recommend it. I think it's at thinkingcraft.com or actualme.com. All I can tell you is that when we ran the tests, we determined the best comp, and in the remaining time, we achieved 300,000 people to take the survey by running this test. This is the actual protocol from the test. Today, by the way, they have 22 million. It's pretty amazing. All right, so that's that's a test. Now, I just want to stop right now, and and I want to just point out that you may be on the phone, and I may be creating a marketer's inferiority complex. Please bear with me. You don't have to be a scientist to run A-B tests. I'm going to get simple. If you'll just stand by, I'm coming. I want to take you to the last letter that we talked about in the formula. We've been looking at validity, and now let me close this. Now we're going to look at the last letter, which was I. So we've gone through Q, T, M, V, and now we're on I, and this is interpretation. What do you do if the results are inconclusive? What do you do if the results are valid? You need a kind of a protocol that you follow so that you can get the most gain from the test itself. So there are some keys to this, and I'll just point out a couple of these for you rapidly. Expertise is cumulative. Keep careful records of all your tests. And when results are surprising, look for hidden sources of error insight. The lack of difference is meaningful. Even if you don't get the result you hoped for, the fact that you got a valid test should be teaching you a great deal. Stratification can be very important. Try filtering the results, looking for patterns. Pay attention to the days of the week, the hours of the day, etc. You may find you know, winners that you didn't even know you had by studying your data 
across its various stratas. Now, alternative or secondary conclusions are very important too. Don't just get the main learning, but look for something else that will help you. Because even invalid deaths can sometimes yield an insight. It may not be the primary insight that you hoped for, but they can. One of the best ways to test is to try a variable cluster. Now, this is something we developed. We have a patent pending on it. I'm going to get simple with you, and I'm going to show you. And, and I'm going to actually take you through a radical redesign, and I want to talk to you about this. Let me see how I'm doing for time. All right, I'm doing okay. Uh, most of you probably haven't heard of the concept radical redesign, but I want to tell you what the problem is with the way most of us approach our testing. Even if we can get a valid test, and you can use simple tools, I don't want to promote a vendor, but Google has a, a Google Optimizer can be used, and you can run simple tests right now using that with just a little bit of study, and if you're just reasonably careful, you should be able to get valid information. However, and this is what I want to tell you that is so important, being able to test is not what you should be worried about. Anybody on this phone can learn how to test. You may not learn how to conduct, you know, complex uh, experiments that could be run. I work with uh, the University of Cambridge's uh, transforming business. You may not run a test like we could run there, but you, you will be able to run tests that can make meaningful results for your business. The problem is not knowing how to test. The problem is knowing what to test. And let me give you an example of some of the most common mistakes that I have seen over and over again, and, and perhaps it will help you. We think, because we've been told that you can change only one element at a time. This was true in the days when testing was done in direct mail, and one test could cost 500000 I saw a, a, a recent direct mail test. The test alone was a million dollars because it's so expensive to run direct mail tests. The Internet is different. It's faster, and it's a, it costs a lot less money to run a test. So... Not knowing that, not recognizing the difference, many of us think, well, all I can change on this page is one piece because if I change any more than that, I'm not going to know whether or not it was this or it was that that caused the result. That's not true. That's a refining strategy, but that is not how you should start your test. I would begin my testing by challenging the very category. I would begin with a radical redesign that made a completely different version of the page, and I would see it at least two of those radical redesigns could outperform my control. And if I could beat my regular page, my control page, with one of the radical redesigns, then I would begin my refining test on those. That's when you start isolating variables. Now, a variable cluster is a cluster of changes that you're making rather than one particular element like the color of a headline. It might be the headline. It might be the opening text and it might be the placement of a key graphic, and you're making all of those changes at one time in a cluster of variables. And once you get your results back, let's suppose that you get an improvement, then you go back to that. You go back to that improvement, and you say to yourself, all right, why did I get an improvement? And that's when you start isolating only testing one or two variables. Remember, we have commercial goals here, not just academic goals. You're trying to get a result. Do not feel like you're cheating if you do a radical redesign. An example of a radical redesign is if your page is very short, try a long copy approach. Let's look at some ways we tested a registration process and see how radical redesigns work. So here is the registration, a five-page process that felt more like a purchase than a free trial. Same company we've been looking at. I'm grateful for their help. I'm grateful for the fact that they were willing to test and that they've been willing to share their results. Uh, and we recommended a radical redesign of this offer page. This was the original page. You know what we did not do? We did not go in there and move or change, save one button, and then go back and test it. You've written me earlier. Some of you asked me questions. Well, we just don't know what to do because there's so many variables to test. Do a cluster. Let me show you how we did we looked at this page, and we changed it to a different page completely. Here's the new page. Now, you can think of the old page, and you can think of the new page. Let's go back to the old page. This is the old page. Now, this is the new page. 
First of all, it's a new headline. It sums up the benefit. It emphasizes that it's free. We use this image to show what the customer will receive. The iPath is now linear. By the way, if you, even if you're an e-commerce provider or a consultant, pay attention to this page because you're looking at best practices and, the, and it produced a significant yield. The bullets and the bolding make it easier to find and scan important selling points. We established the value. I mean, I could not believe that this wasn't being emphasized. These are smart people, by the way. I'm not suggesting that they just – I mean, the point is that sometimes it takes people from the outside with new eyes to look at a page. But here you are. We emphasize you'll never be charged during your free trial, and you can cancel any time. We put it in bold. Then we say if you decide not to cancel your subscription, your service will continue for just $11.95 a month. And then we say you'll save $1,251.60 off the printed version. The more the, 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 the risk-free, that little graphic is superb. Feel free to steal it from us. It's valuable. We've developed it and used it. It somehow converts at a very high level. It reduces anxiety. The button copy emphasizes what they would receive. It doesn't say to submit. It, it implies a value. We place the testimonial directly beneath it. It's a really good testimonial, and since we can only do one, we didn't take a one from a person. If We use the high authority. You either need to have a lot of people or you need to have significant authority attached to your testimonials. We chose the, the most authority we could find, PC Magazine, talking about all the content of the world's premier encyclopedia without giving up a yard of shelf space. Isn't that an awesome testimonial? We dropped it right beneath the button. We eliminated all the unnecessary fields. Let's go back. Let's go back again. This is the before page. Now, this is a respectable page. This looks like most of the pages I see in the Internet prepared by a good corporate design team. But look at the new page. And uh, and now look at the difference. Jimmy, you want to comment anything on this page? Because you were very involved in this. Um, I mean, you, you cover most of the main points, but I think a lot of people will have a hard time seeing what's wrong with the other page. Go to the old page real quick. All right. Watch now and learn from this. We'll, we'll follow up with the test design, uh, but go ahead, Jimmy. I'll just first start by talking about the images. What happens when you get on this page in, in the customer's eyes is they immediately go to the nice, pretty graphics. And so what's happening is you have the circles on the left that do not support or state value proposition. They're just images. How is that helping me understand what I'm going to get? I have an image of the, of the laptop on the right, and that's a good image, but it could be a lot better, and we, we improved on it. If I, if I look at the rest of the text, the text actually is just overpowered by the other elements. You have the images at the bottom as well, but there's nothing driving you through the text because you're distracted by the images. So that was one big thing. Another really big, uh, you know, Probably one of the biggest problems in the right-hand column are all the main selling points of this offer, but you never see them all the way over on the right. It's a muted color. It's over on the right. They're trying to emphasize it, but it's actually not. It's actually de-emphasizing it. Even just moving those over and simplifying this design into a single column, which is exactly what we did, would get more people in front of the, the reasons and the information they need to make a buying decision. So, I mean, that's just the, the, the quick path. It's a three-column-looking weird thing we got here. I mean, it's, it's pretty. It's vis visually appealing, and most companies and designers would like it. They're like, oh, this is a great page. But, what, but when you look at how it communicates to the customer, it's not very effective. So this is the redesign, and it's a masterful job, and time is running out, so let me show you the results. The radical redesign of the initial offer page was a critical piece of the overall subscription path test. We got 125% more people to start free trials, 65% more paid subscriptions, and another lift, 53% lift in total revenue. Now, think about what that means. Just changing elements on the page. Optimization takes place in the mind, and what we did was control the sequence of thoughts. And then we tested to validate. And what I want you to understand is that we tested a whole cluster of variables in what we call a radical redesign. After that, we made incremental improvements. Remember adding the HackerSafe logo? Remember those little movements that found additional revenue? It's time to do that after you've identified your radical redesign and you've got yourself at least in the ballpark of your best possible control. 
So let me stop there. Time is almost up. I'm going to take some quick questions from you. And uh, while I'm doing that, let me know if this is helpful for you today. Am I too deep? Am I too shallow? Is this right for most of you at least? Uh, and uh, and then I'm going to answer, ask, take some questions. Here's one says, but it asked for a credit card. Was there just no address verification going on? Jimmy, you want to answer that? Remember the credit card without the? Absolutely. So, so this, this is something that most companies, if you can do it, you should test it. Here's the deal. If it's an online subscription, you're not mailing someone something that's a print material, remove those extra fields. They're not needed for, for ABS. You're not going to get a YMAT, which might save you, you know, point know, 6% uh, of credit card fees, but the potential increase in conversion should easily make up for any sort of savings on your merchant, uh, on the merchant fee side. So if your merchant account will let you uh, remove those fields or you don't need those and you can still process cards and you can just use a Z-match or N-match uh, on your merchant processing, then absolutely test it and do it. It makes the entire process feel less like an order, more like a trial. Um, it just simplifies the page. So... Uh, yes, um, uh, Jimmy, uh, let me just say to these questions that are coming in. Somebody said, how many reader, radical redesigns? I like to test three right off the bat to challenge my assumptions. That's just a general rule of thumb. You can do a few more, a few less. And then I try to see if I can get a, a higher performing control right away. Once you get that great gain, then you're able to go back and refine. Uh, I have other tests being asked, um, uh, other questions. Um, in email marketing, how much content is enough? Uh, that's something I just taught in uh, Miami at the, at the summit. It really depends on the product that you're actually offering. Um, some of you are asking about getting these, uh, this data. Remember, everyone who's attended this is a subscriber to the Marketing Experiment Journal. We will send you this in uh, uh, the data out. We'll send you this whole presentation. You'll be able to link to the website or read it and go to back and study it. It will be released in a briefing. We, we work very hard to get this all in a form that you can use afterwards. There's $10 million of the research on that site, and it's all free. Now, a lot of you, because of your questions, I, 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 yeah, you can email us and I, if you have questions about the certification class um, because I'm, you're, you're emailing them to me. I, I'm not afraid to sell something, uh, you know, in, in, during one of these sessions if it's helpful, but I just want to teach you, and because of the what I'm getting in a response from you, uh, I just don't have an offer page up right now for it, but we can tell you more about it. Uh, we're actually doing our other our other certification classes and so on. Email us if you need help with that. What is the best way to get started with the analyzation process? That's from Robert. I think it begins by looking at the data, identifying the results, validating the metrics, and then you start working through the stratus of data themselves, and then back up and ask yourself why. Why is the spade you want to use to uncover what's going on in the thinking of the person who's visiting your, your website? It's a very important, very important question. Um, all right. I, we're going to be back again in two weeks with this. If it's been helpful for you, and by the way, I've got a summary up. We'll send this to you, but I hope this summary will help you. It's, it's very succinct. Uh, Hunter prepared it, our managing editor, and it, it outlines for you the main information I hope you can take away from today's session. Um, and so... Please, um, uh, you'll get this in print, and that will help you. And in two weeks, I think, we'll be back again with more data and more research for you. I want you to know that I am grateful for uh, the fact that so many of you keep showing up, uh, and uh, it's, it's a great – I guess, you know, we have a passion here. We want to know how to optimize marketing communication. We want to know how to optimize the response to uh, processes, and the more people who talk and join the community, share with us, ask questions, participate, the more we're all going to learn together. Uh, we're most grateful for everyone's uh, kindness to us. We'll keep working, and we'll be back in two weeks with more data for you. Thank you.